Good morning. morning. Is this working? Do I need this? Is this what building consensus is going to be like? Oh, never mind. I will use, can you hear me? Really? Or is really this better? All right. So we will use this this morning. Again, good morning, everyone. And, um, you know, I... Whenever I have the privilege of the pulpit, I'm always reminded of the many who have stood here before and have served and brought the message. And, and I honor all of those folks who have been here before. And it's a privilege to stand here this morning with you. So thank you. And I wanted to start by reading a little passage from um, the, the, biography of, uh, the autobiography of Dr. King. And he's talking about, in 1958, on a Saturday afternoon, he says, I sat in a Harlem department store, surrounded by hundreds of people. I was autographing copies of Stride Toward Freedom, my book about the Montgomery bus boycott. And while I was sitting there, a demented black woman came up. The only question I heard from her was, are you Martin Luther King? I was looking down right, and I said yes, and the next minute I felt something sharp plunge forcefully into my chest. Before I knew it, I had been stabbed with a letter opener by a woman who would later be judged insane. Her name was Mrs. Isola Ware Curry. I was rushed by ambulance to Harlem Hospital. I lay in a bed for hours while preparations were made to remove the keen-edged knife from my body. After days, when I was well enough to talk with Dr. Maynard, the chief of the surgeons who performed the delicate, dangerous operation, I learned the reason for the long delay that preceded surgery. He told me that the razor tip of the instrument had been touching my aorta, and that my whole chest had to be opened to extract it. He said, if you had sneezed during all those hours you were waiting, Dr. Maynard said your aorta would have been punctured and you would have drowned in your own blood. It came out the next morning in the New York Times that if he had sneezed, he would have died. He tells a little bit further, about four days later after the operation, my chest had been opened and the blade had been taken out. They allowed me to move around in the wheelchair. And I read letters that had come to me from all over the country, but there was one from a young girl who was a student at the White Plains High School. She said simply, Dear Dr. King, I am a ninth grade student at the White Plains High School. While it should not matter, I would like to mention that I am a white girl. I read in the paper of your misfortune and of your suffering, and I read that if you had sneezed, you would have died. And I'm simply writing you to say that I'm so happy that you didn't sneeze. (laughs) I'm happy he didn't sneeze either. It's the small things sometimes. God works in the small ways. Most of us look back on those early days in the movement 
that would one day lead to the Civil Rights Act from what took place in relation to our own lives. I, I was seven at the time Dr. King was stabbed. I was 17 when he was assassinated. And then there was Jack. And then there was Bobby. And then everything was turned upside down. Any sense I have had of an idyllic new dawning was pushed back. And those so inclined were sure that this was the end of times. I didn't think that. But I sure did think that uncertainty was all around and an abundant supply. And as we have done before and since, we pulled together. We pulled together individually. We pulled together corporately, as a nation, as congregations, as communities, and still with pockets of the ugly resistance of hate and ignorance, discrimination and bias, but always with the hope that prayers and love and our efforts would eventually warm even the coldest of hearts. I loved it when Dr. King said that the universe, the arc of the universe, is bent inexorably toward justice. It was true then and it's true now. And I, I love remembering that, that everything that we are doing that has preceded us, that will come, is slowly bending toward that arc and that we are a part of making that happen. All of this was imprinted on me when I was a kid and growing up during those times without knowing how or even what, necessarily. But I did see the grace of God's presence in those who led us and often those whom I felt were carrying us. And then I remember seeing those things since, repeated, for I had begun to learn what others before me knew, most notably at Mother Emanuel Church not long ago. And that congregation rose up based on their reliance in God and their love for one another in forgiveness for the murderer of their friends and colleagues. And I thought, wow. And honestly, I had to ask myself, could I have done that? And I remember other times, as I'm sure you do. But you know, through it all, we just, we believe. We believe that somehow we get through. And we get through because our connection to God is greater than anything else. It always has been, it is now, and it always will be. God is greater. And there's implications, you know. There's implications in, in having this relationship and this understanding and this belief in God, this God revealed to us through Jesus Christ, through his teachings and his ministries, and through the presence of this risen Christ in our midst, the constant revelation of God in our lives and all the different ways we may know God. And most often it's in the small little things or those conversations that we have that leave an impression. Dr. King, in a sermon he gave in January 7th in 1968, he talked about a conversation that he had with his two daughters. He was talking with Bernice and Yolanda, and he said, I'm going to work and do everything that I can to see that you get a good education. I don't ever want you to forget that there are millions of God's children who will not and cannot get a good education. 
And I don't want you feeling that you are better than they are, for you will never be what you want to be until they are what they ought to be. We will never be what we want to be until others are what they ought to be. Who it is God created us to be. It sort of sums it up, doesn't it? You know, when Luke talks about Jesus finding himself in the synagogue, first praised, first praised, oh, you're wonderful, is he, is he the son of Joseph? Oh my God, look at him, he's amazing. First praised and lifted up at his teachings and how does he know these things? And then before you know it, there's a mini revolt, actually not so small. And they're chasing him out of the temple and ready to throw him off a cliff. All because he brought to life what Dr. King brought to life following him. What have you done for the poor that inconvenienced you? What have you done to care for the widows that you ignore as someone else's charge in your community? What have you done to make sure that others have what you have? Don't expect any acts of greatness from me. Don't expect any acts of greatness through me from God. Not here. Not here. And he might have added, bless you. He might have added, bless you. <laughs> and he might have added after saying all of that, you hypocrites. Ouch. So much ouch that they were ready to kill. And thinking about this, I think, you know, I think that ouch went both ways. I think that time and again in the Gospels we see, we see Jesus out there carrying the message of the good news, trying to reveal God to others in all the ways he can, using signs and wonders in all the ways those signs and wonders actually took place or were described to help people's faith to grow. And I wonder if at different times he didn't feel the ouch because there was some way that he couldn't be all that he longed to be because others just weren't getting it. Now, I don't want to presume, I'm on a little you know, shaky ground there, presuming what Jesus felt or what God felt, but you know, we do share the humanity and I'm sure the disappointment that we feel when somebody doesn't quite get what we're trying to help them to get or to bring somebody along who we can see just needs a little bit of help, but they're not ready, whatever it may be. I'm sure Jesus felt that. And there's a deep part of me that says, and I think God feels that too. You know, Jesus had come, he says, he, he stands up and he reads Isaiah. And just as Isaiah told us, he says he had come to bring good news to the poor, to proclaim the release of the captives, recovery to the sight of the blind, to let the oppressed go free. Because, like Isaiah, the Spirit of God was upon him. And like Isaiah and like Jesus, the Spirit of God is upon us. So anyway, Jesus got through the crowd. He walked right out. The Greek says he continued on, sort of riding the wave of the universe. And I'm only half kidding when I talk about that, because for me lately, this space and time continuum has shifted a great deal. I, I just can't seem to navigate as confidently as I might like under the conditions in which so many things are shifting right now. Time and space seems to be changing a bit. Not quite sure. That uncertainty seems to be creeping back in in so many ways. Our, 
Are people going to be able to have the things they need? Are we going to be able to provide people with the services that they need? Are we going to be able to make the differences or maintain the changes we've begun and to help them to go? All of this uncertainty, and it, it's pushed me. It's pushed me from the tick-tock time, you know, the chronos time of our, our wristwatches. It's pushed me from there back into that Kairos God time, this arc of the universe. But we're, the time as we measure it is not as we measure it. We don't know how to measure time, really. But what we are is in that place where God is with us. And all of the things that God has done and provided us with what we've needed to accomplish through many different ways over time is still there. It's still there. I know that there is more to do. There's always more to do. And I also know that our personal lives are full in all sorts of ways that reflect God to others. Whether it is those we care for at home, whether it's those that we visit in hospice, whether it's those who are sick, whether we're cooking for families, whether we're getting kids off to school, or caring for our pets, or trying to figure out how we navigate a time after a loved one has passed. Our lives are full. And we rely on one another to help us, even in those fullest of times. And there's no question that since the earliest days of civilization, gathering and worship has been an integral part of being together in ways that are unique and have carried us through everything that has come before. It has carried us through everything that has come before. We can have confidence in that, for it is true. You know, I've enjoyed learning about the Sable Congregational United Church of Christ and the missions of this church that have been a witness here since 1858. That was a year after the Dred Scott case was settled. Remember that? Congress that held that Congress does not have the right to ban slavery in states and that slaves are not citizens. But you were also here in 1954 when Brown versus Board of Education in Topeka declared that racial segregation in the schools was unconstitutional. And we were also here in 2009 when Barack Obama became our African-American first president, the 44th president of the United States. And all that happened in between, because these things do not happen in isolation. Any movement toward justice and change, any movement of the reflection of God in our lives that brings conditions better into the lives of others, moves all other conditions. And just as I believe it has been in the past, this will continue as we go forward together, wherever we may be. Last week, we remembered the baptism of Jesus and how baptism, his and ours, calls us to say yes, to believing that right now we have the ability to do things in our lives in ways that are good and positive and reflective of God in our lives, and that when something comes along that we think we need to do, we can say yes. I remember saying to a friend of mine once, Sandy, I said, Sandy, because she was telling me to do something. I said, Sandy, I said, I'm not qualified to do this. She says, Ray, what makes you think God is going to call you to do something you're qualified for? <laughs> it's good to have friends like that. They sort of make you go. I think it just comes down to believing this. 
that with God and one another, no matter the challenge or the risk, nothing that should come down can stand. No wall, no socioeconomic stratification, no self-aggrandizement. None of it can stand for long when we see ourselves as a revelatory power and expression of God in our lives. And however we help that to happen, whatever the opportunities a given day brings to us, whether personally or part of this congregation, is all to the good. So often it starts in a small way, like holding the door for somebody behind you with a smile. Or not sneezing. <laughs> Dr. King talked about this uh, surrounding the Montgomery boycott. He said, and he refers to this as standing up to the finish. He says, 26 of the ministers and almost 100 of the citizens of the city of Montgomery were indicted in this boycott. But we realized in the beginning that we would confront experiences that made for great sacrifices, experiences that are not altogether pleasant. We decided about ourselves that we would stand up to the finish, and that is what we are determined to do. In the midst of the indictments, we still hold to this nonviolent attitude and this primacy of love. And we still hold to the primacy and imminence of God as revealed through Jesus the Christ. In the lost gospel of Q, Jesus is reported as saying, everyone who acknowledges me in public will be celebrated by the angels. You, those who have sat here before, those who will come afterwards, are part of a legacy and a history of doing just that. And the angels have been celebrating here for a long time. I, I get a glimmer of some dancing around. I don't want to make you nervous. I don't really see things, but there, you know. Well, in the end, what it was was that Dr. King had said that we do what we do because we know this is how God has called us to express ourselves into the lives of others. And so with you today, going forward, what a privilege we share to have the opportunity to be people who reflect God's love for us and the love that we are called to share with all. Thank you for having me here this morning, and God bless you all.